When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Gather round. Let's have a lovely episode of the National Treasures podcast. When? Now? With who? Me, Will Duggan, and you. Laura Lex. Welcome. You join us on the fourth of our episodes regarding Cheddar Gorge, where we were sent by the wonderful uh, Richard Herring. Um, in the first episode, Laura and I went to Cheddar Gorge. What a great time we had. In mm. the second episode, we chatted to Richard Herring about Cheddar Gorge. What a great time we had. Then, last week, you heard me talk all about gimmicky, weird tourist attractions based off that terrible cave that was just insane. And this week, we bring it all to a head because Laura is going to tell me all about the second thing that you guys voted for. It's animals in the Victorian times. I'm excited. Are you excited? Pause for yes. And then also you. And then also you can be excited as well, Laura. (laughs) Yay! Um, Yeah. How exciting. And and the, basically, Victorian-era animals came up because of the donkey that was professed to be loved but got worked to death. So hard yeah. to tell how loved a thing was. I loved it um, as I saw it crumble and fall. Yeah, you know, it's how a lot of us feel about our marriage, isn't it? I love sure. them, but I am breaking them down slowly day by day. <laughs> and then when they die, you win. <laughs> <laughs> but it'll kill me. Um, anyway, so yeah, obviously um, animals, the the problem that I had with doing the research here is that animals were not invented by the Victorian period. Ah, just like, so, the, like the wheel, early 20th yeah. century. Short episode. Thanks for coming. See you later. It doesn't really work that because you've all seen the timestamp on the episode. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no. So there's a lot going on. I um I hope I found some good stuff. I I, I, I there was no obvious way to do the order of how sure. this information like it's really messed with my desire for organization here, but l- let's give it a go. So first up, noticeably, it seems like pets start to become more and more a thing in the Victorian era. Okay. Um like Slight theory, maybe, that it's um, because of industrial revolutionising. Mm-hmm. So people are coming in off the land and moving to the cities. And so they're missing their little um, animals that they were in contact with a lot. So they start, like, gathering animals into the home a bit more. Yeah, I suppose. And I never really considered that sort of, like, in the countryside, farmers wouldn't necessarily have, like, 
pets so much as what as like you've been to a farm these days you like the sheepdog they like the sheepdog but it is staff not just like li yeah. living a great life of luxury it's got shit to do yeah 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 it's very different the thing with a lot of this research that's i i always think when you're talking about the past is it's hard to know who we're talking about you know when they go like people were doing this and you kind of think like which people though like how are, are you talking about any of the poor people here basically yeah, okay. <laughs> because um like you know, I'm fairly sure if somebody wrote down what life's like now for people, it wouldn't really reflect my life very much. I remember once being like a Chinese buffet with my parents as a child and saying, I wish I was Chinese to eat this every day. But I was like, first of all, that no one eats this in China. And secondly, if they did, it isn't just the guys. It's the <laughs> the emperors. Yeah. Um. So that's first thing. Um. So pe pets... Uh, I assume, let's just assume we're talking about the rich people. Ugh, that's who they write stuff down about, isn't it? Okay, so breeding stuff gets start to... Oh my God, my words. So just for clarity, I've overslept and woken up approximately four minutes before the recording. So I'm sorry that my mouth is just garbage. Um, more garbage than usual. Breeding things gets more and more defined. So because dogs and stuff have come indoors and people are just sitting them on their lap and want them to be a specific type of thing, they're breeding more and more specific types of dogs to get them to be docile and stuff. Okay, got you. So do you want to guess the two most popular um, breeds with fashionable women? Um, is it Dachshunds? It's not, no. Uh, Good guess, though. Miniature Poodles? No, I'm sorry, you've not guessed them. It's Pugs and Pomeranians. Okay. Uh, do you know, I think I was reasoning quite recently. And I think, like, some of the kennel clubs, like, maybe not Cruffs, but sort of, like, their competitors, uh, want to get Pugs sort of, like, declassified. Because oh. life is hell for a Pug, isn't it, really? Yeah, I think it can be. And I and I think now that there there is a... um, oh, What do you call it? Like a... A surgery that you can have um, on a pug that clears their airways a bit, but it's just like, oh, come on, guys. Yeah. Um, but that, this, well, this is where the danger started, really. Right. <laughs> so it's these guys. The, the, yeah, that terror that, uh, that pugs feel now every time they have to breathe in, that was the Victorians. Thank you, posh people of the Victorian times. Um, they were way more into dogs than cats, m roughly speaking, Victorians. Sure. Um, and there's a good quote that I found in Cassell's Household Guide from 1897 that says, A fickle or ungrateful disposition is neither lovely nor lovable. And as most cats are fickle, ungrateful and selfish, they are not often favourites. That's fair. I, that's fair. I, do you know, I think one of the biggest lies that I was told as a child was from the cartoon Tom and Jerry, and it was cat hunts mouse, dog hunts cat. And I think most of the time, <laughs> if we're honest, most dogs are terrified of most cats. Yeah. M my dog loves cats. She would play with every cat she found, but because she's so used to the cats, like she grew up with cats as a puppy, and then my brother had a cat, so she spent a lot of time around cats. And now when we're out, she like, oh, it's a cat. And then the cat is like, 
<laughs> like back arched, spitting hair everywhere. Was it your dog when she was very, very small? Like acted like a cat, like used to stalk things like a cat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that is funny. She still does that a little bit and I can never work out what it is she's up to. So like, you know, my house has got those steps up to it. Yeah. Has she ever pounced on you when you've come up the steps? Like, she crouches on one of the steps really still. And you can say at the gate, you can say, Hi, Mackie. And she'll just sit there. And then you take two steps up the step, and she just sits there, like, quivering a little bit. But if you get to a certain step, then she bounds down towards you. And oh. she's like, I don't know if she thinks she's hidden. She's in no way hidden. Yeah, she's just lying on the step. <laughs> yeah. She's With her still. head low. <laughs> <laughs> but sort of does leave our butt stuck up in the air. Um, I can't say I've ever experienced that, I'm afraid. Sorry. Uh, well, that's one of our favourite things. Um, so that that's the beginnings of pets, basically, in the Victorian era. Also, there's... Um, obviously, there's a lot of change in the way English-British people see animals because the British Empire is expanding at such a rate and obviously, everybody's over there nicking the animals that they find. Sure. So there's lots more animals suddenly existing that the average person had never heard of before. So the more exotic ones you can bring back and have as a pet, the higher your status symbol kind of thing. Yes, and that brings us back to something that I mentioned pretty much every episode in series one and two. Peacocks! Well, I had a look at peacocks, actually, because I was like, yeah, I bet that was a thing. Peacocks arrived way early. I didn't write it down because it wasn't Victorian era, but hang on, let me get back up again. Because have a guess as to when peacocks arrived in the UK. Well, I'm going to guess it's around the 1700s. No. Because they're from India, aren't they, peacocks? I think think so so sort of like when it's when we're sort of first getting involved in india isn't it like so maybe the 17th century no i don't think so so the uh the earliest example of it referred to in writing comes from 1300 oh wow and in the 14th century chaucer first used the word to describe ostentatious people who strutted about so they've been there long enough for them to sort of enter the lexicon almost yeah i think it's really early like it says that they might have been in europe uh introduced by alexander the great possibly right so there's a chance that they were like in greece and other areas of europe by 450 bce wow that is a lot sooner than i yeah i had exactly the same thought process as you though i was like all right peacocks let's go that feels like something a victorian nicked but that was that was way earlier well, I mean, irrelevant to the topic, but really good. That's in my favourite bit thus far. And I, yeah. I love the thing about cats and dogs. <laughs> so, back to pets a little bit, first of all. Queen Victoria, obviously, she's the big trendsetter of the day. Um, she had a lot of pets. She liked dogs. Um, she, confusingly, no one told her about... Um, royals being iconic she had a king charles spaniel right okay so that's annoying actually because can you not uh and she uh, he was called dash i think and she had a pomeranian as well called turi and she wrote about them in journals so queen victoria was quite a diary keeper okay 
Um, so she like wrote about them a lot and it seems like she was quite into dogs. You know, like the way Lizzie too was very um, horse mad and that was everybody's like, oh, she loves horses. And corgis. Yeah. She seems to have been well up on, on dogs. Well up on dogs. Um, it says, uh, so there's a diary entry of her 23rd birthday <laughs> when... Clearly, they've hit a point now where Prince Albert doesn't really know what to get her anymore. Okay. Probably went overboard on year one, you know, when you first... When you're her. wooing, you're trying to make them think you're a better person yeah. than you are. Bought her everything he knows she wants. So for her 23rd birthday, he just buys her eight dogs. Oh, God. Like, it's, it's like... <laughs> It's like somebody said to him, hey, uh, Prince Albert, I've written this song. It's called The Twelve Days of Christmas. And he sort of like paid half attention to it. And at the end, like, yeah, that is sehr gut, sehr gut. For Vicky, that is Act Hunde. Yeah, Act Hunde. Yeah. Can you imagine just rocking up on someone's birthday with eight dogs for them without checking? That's what's mad about being royal, <laughs> is that that's fine. That's not going to upset her. Like That would ruin the rest of my life if I was bought eight dogs right now. But she's just got enough staff to go, wonderful, thank you, darling. And some, that's someone else's problem. Like some poor servant had their job trashed that day. I really hope that like he's like, I've got you a present. And then it's just a dog. He goes, I've got you another present, and it's another. <laughs> and by the fifth time, she's like, can I guess? Because I've got, I've got a reasonable idea about what's coming on here. <laughs> Vicky, what is this? Number six. Is it a dog, Albert? Yeah, it's a dog for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's a, a entry from her diary of her eight dogs. She was thrilled with all of them. She loves eight dogs. Um, a beautiful white spitz, which I had seen before and greatly admired. A couple of beautiful white truffle dogs, very rare. Something like poodles as to hair, but much smaller. A couple of beautiful little Blenheim spaniels and a clever, very small little pug. A most rare dark blue, as it's called, Scotch terrier. And a very pretty little King Charles. I was quite delighted. Well, there you go. I hope you enjoy it, Victoria. Yeah, she's loving her birthday party. There's no way that Buckingham Palace didn't stink of dog shit in the Victorian time. Was Bucky Pal a thing by then? I think she's the one... Lived by this I, think, I think Victoria's the one that made it the uh, official residence. Gotcha. Well, you're so smart. Yeah, stanky. Luckily, there's that park right next door, so plenty of places to walk them, but... yeah. Ugh, yeah, yeah, dogs. Come, yeah, eight dogs. Um, so dogs are big, so big in fact that dog shows start to happen in the Victorian period. Okay. So all that kennel club stuff you were talking about, that is starting to exist and stuff now. So the first modern dog show happened in Newcastle. That's a good bit of trivia, that isn't it? Yep. 1859 and it was basically it wasn't its own standalone thing they were already having a cattle show and then they sort of showed some working dogs in a dog show alongside it like one man and his dog i don't know what that is. it was a tv show um in the i think 1970s um but of like shepherds showing off their skills <laughs> Yeah, that sounds about right. I think they were already looking at cows and then they've added dogs on as a sort of secondary bit. So that was the first dog show. Would you like to know something that I think is true about Queen Victoria and Newcastle? Yeah. I think, I'm reasonably sure, that she hated Newcastle. 
Oh, and she don't know she refused to make it a city and then whenever she got on like the train or a carriage through Newcastle she shut her curtains all right there's a really pretty view though as you go through Newcastle on you, the train on that bridge though was that bridge built yeah that's a good point maybe someone built the bridge to try and impress her and get her to change her mind well, she's dead now and Newcastle isn't so who wins woohoo well done Newcastle you outlived a woman um so there was there was not long after the Newcastle show, there was um, a dog show in Birmingham, mm-hmm. same year, in fact, that was um, showed non-sporting breeds too. So perhaps that could be thought of as being the first, like, dog show as we kind of know. Dogs for dog's sake. Yeah. Um, so that was the Birmingham dog show. Uh, and then next, the next year, they ran the first national dog show, and there were 267 entries, 30 breeds, and 42 classes for the judging. Wow. They've really mm. gone from no dog show to get that ruled ratified. <laughs> yeah. So dogs are a big deal. Dogs are the pets that everybody loves. But if you've got a lot of money, oh boy, as I hinted at earlier, you could have more exotic pets. Yes, Will. you could, yes. If you could have an exotic pet, what would you have? Well, I think if I could guarantee my safety, I'd like something like a lynx or an ocelot. Oh, yeah, all right. But I wouldn't, I think, I must stress, I would never have one of those animals because they're wild and they shouldn't be kept. But, you know, if there was a way to find a parity between it and I, um, that everyone was happy, that'd be quite cool. Yeah. I mean, you keep Becca and she's wild. She's wild. Do I keep her or am I kept by her? Oh, it's a good question. Um, so exotic pets were cool because they were a status symbol. So if you had one, um, everybody knew how expensive they were to look after. You needed a lot of grounds and, and stuff. So they were cool. So there's here's some examples of people that had um, exotic animals. Uh, you know Lord Byron? Mm-hmm. You heard of Byron? Yeah, the bear. Yeah, he did. So there's, I've got an extract from his diary. He's writing to his friend Elizabeth, uh, and he's at, at college in Cambridge. And he says, I've got a new friend, the finest in the world, a tame bear. Um, and he took it with him to college. When I applied to go to Cambridge University, unsuccessfully, uh, they took us on a little tour, and one of the tours was the room that the bear lived in. Yeah. yeah. Well, he he had it at the stables where the horses were kept, but um, I don't think it went well, so eventually he had it sent back to his family estate. Yeah. You know, you know when your pets are just too much to have at college with you, so you send them back. Dear <laughs> Mummy, the bear is quite the ragamuffin. Awfully possible. <laughs> back at yours. Kind regards, LB. Lord Byron. So, um, there's a bear. The Queen's son, Prince Alfred, um, he had a pet. What do you think he had? A crocodile. No. Uh, He had an Indian elephant. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, It's not a happy story. He uh, brought it home by a boat, uh, and then they did manage to get it to England. He called it Prince Tommy. Okay. Okay. the elephant sure. but then they put him on a train from Plymouth I'm guessing up to London 
if they lived there. Uh, yeah. And he, he, the elephant panicked on the train and crushed his keeper to death. Oof, well, bloody hell, Prince Tommy. Yeah, so he was at Sandringham for a little while, but then... In the he, army? They, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he was a lance corporal. Um, no, he was in the um, what are they called? The gunspear people. The gunspear ba- people. Bayonets. Bayonets. You could use a trunk as a bayonet if you were an elephant. The gunspear people. <laughs> if I think that this, the last thirty seconds has really been the National Treasures podcast distilled to its most pure point. <laughs> Something quite interesting, quite unknown. We've given some knowledge there, the kind of thing that Jenna would do. But then Jenna. we fucked it by saying Gunspear. <laughs> also, and well done for neither of us for realising, we've mistaken Sandringham with Sandhurst. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is why he won't let us go on. Um, yeah. You're dead to me, isn't it? I can't argue, it. can't argue it's it. It's all we want in the whole wide world. <sighs> anyway, so he sodded himself up at Sandringham, but then they gave him away. They gave him to Dublin Zoo. Sure. And if you go to Dublin Zoological Museum, the skeleton of Prince Tommy is still there. That's really cool. Like that, that, that's great. I'd love to do that. Yeah. Um, a, 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 ver- a fairly popular... Um, fancy animal to have. I don't think you'd guess this if I gave you a hundred options to guess, Will. Um, Do you remember a band a little while ago who I think had a song that went, I'm moving to New York. The Wombats. Yeah, Wombats were a very popular pet. Cube-shaped poop Wombats. Yeah, why are you just sitting there with your eyes closed, please? Uh, Because I've got the changing of the seasons plays havoc with my eczema and the place of my body that gets it the worst is my eyelids. So my eyelids are on absolute fire. Um, So I'm just shutting them so that the eyes start cleaning. I was hoping you wouldn't notice. You didn't think I'd notice you just sitting there. Because, yeah. Like you're meditating. Yeah, so, I'm loving it because it means you're focused. Yeah, my eyes, I think we should do every single episode like yeah, this. My eyes are shut because my eyes are in so much pain. Also, I didn't sleep well. I've got to do, a, as I mentioned, off record, I think. I've got to do an eight-hour drive today that I'm going to get home far too late to fall asleep and have enough sleep what time I need to get up tomorrow. So I'm just trying to do anything I can to salve the body. Oh. Yeah. If you feel sorry for Will and want to support him in a slightly patronising way, join the Patreon, yep. patreon.com forward slash national <laughs> A slightly patronising way. Hey! Well, that's where the word comes from. So, um, yeah, yeah, a wombat. <laughs> Wombats were popular uh, pets. Now, this is tied up with the opening of a, a zoo in Regent's Park. So the beginnings of London Zoo basically start around now. They opened a wombat lair. Lair. <laughs> a, a, yeah, and and then um, a guy... And, and so that sort of started the trend for wombats being popular, it seems like. So, yeah, wombats became <laughs> a slight popular thing. <laughs> you know, Becca and I, one of our... Um points of friction in our relationship is she never says five words when a million will do <laughs> and I had to just put up with you there doing it wombats were very popular in Victorian era end sentence, end point so 
So that brings us on to the sort of development of zoos a little bit. Zoos start to become a tiny, weeny, itty-bitty thing. Mm -hmm. Not quite as nice as we know them. We're talking pretty horrible, I think. But in many ways, they were attempting to be a step up from what came before. So prior to London Zoo, I think, and I didn't do much research into this, but I think there were like animals kept at the tower. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. If you've been to the Tower of London, um, as you, if you, the queue you go in to get in, um, you have to go past. Edward the Third kept lions at the tower, and they've got like excavated of the um, uh, skeletons. Yeah. So they have gone from there by now, and I think a lot of where they went, they got moved out to zoos and things like that. So London Zoo starts uh, uh, opens in april 1828 and they have some cool animals they've got oryx um they've What's got a, I, th- I think it's like it's like a deer i think an oryx okay. isn't it it's, it's a sort of african much cooler version of a deer you know like a springbok that sort of region sure. of animal i believe um, they've got orangutans and they've got, they had some stuff that's extinct now. So like I say, they weren't exactly the like preservations <laughs> of species that we now know them to be. Um, so, uh, it was opened just before the Victorian period. Um, but it became open to the public in 1847, which I think was the Victorian. Yeah, era. it's the, it's the- 30s isn't it yeah um, i think it's late 30s to 1901 when she died yeah so it, it becomes yeah it becomes open to the public 37 something like that so uh the first hippopotamus to be found in europe i think was at london zoo okay um do you want to know how it was described in the times <laughs> it's it's a baffling description okay, you've got to so... wonder if they saw it let me, in my it's head... It's only three words. It's only three words. Okay, but let me, in my head, and listeners, I, I ask you to join me, imagine a hippopotamus, an animal that maybe not all of us have seen recently, but we know what they look like. Imagine it. Go. Gigantic. Mm-hmm. Newborn. Ooh. Rabbit. <laughs> Do you know what? Oh, 33% of those words are spot on <laughs> like the other the other 66 are thick <laughs> i've seen a newborn rabbit and i suppose it is sort of hairless i think they're called kits newborn rabbits um so i guess there is a sort of element to that and they i sp- i suppose they've got the I'm going to show you a picture of a newborn rabbit now and we'll put this on the Patreon. I guess there's something there. Oh my God, I take it back. That is a tiny hippopotamus. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. I feel thick. I used to feel clever and now I feel thick. Hey, welcome to my whole life. Yeah, I mean, it feels like a weird description when you see it written down, but then when you look at a newborn rabbit, you're like, inflate that, that's a hippo. Yeah, you're right. That's 100% a hippo. My God. I I apologise to the Times of London for um, (laughs) my attitude about 10 minutes ago. So we've got a few zoos popping up. 
Um, there's also traveling menageries are a thing. Not Great quite word, circuses. Menagerie. Yeah, not quite circuses, but just, hey, come and have a look at these sad animals that we've got in tiny cages. So they'd have things like hyenas, lions, elephants, tigers, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, the the queen is known to have seen one. So the most famous one at the time was called Wombwells, um, and it came to Windsor Castle at some point, and the Queen saw it, and she wrote in her journal that she saw a very accomplished elephant and a lioness with two very dear little cubs. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so she liked those. Now, here's what you really want when you're talking about Victorian animals, though. How did things go wrong? Well, I imagine that the welfare of the animals wasn't very um, paramount. I think the understanding of the animals was minimal. I think the safety um, sort of procedures were shocking. So I imagine more regularly than not, some poor fucker got eaten. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes. Ding, ding, ding. 50 points for you. So there were a lot of incidents of people getting hurt. Um, The one that sort of got a lot of attention was that female lion tamers, who were called the lion queens, um, they, when they got attacked, it made headlines for like, well, why were women doing that in the first place? Stop women doing everything. That kind of thing. So, um... There was, in 1850, George Wombwell, who owns that menagerie that we were just talking about, his niece was attacked and killed by a tiger in front of the spectators. Yeah. Um, And then after that, the jury were like, listen, women can't fight tigers. Men can, obviously, but I don't think women should be in the cages with them. Now, that is something that I think is, is... quite often ignored when it comes to equality. The good stuff that it managed, that the patriarchy has got you. No more getting mauled by tigers. Yeah, but if men are allowed to get mauled if that's what they want, then women should be able to too. No, I mean, listen to me. It's a bad thing that anyone's getting mauled by tigers. It's good that the women aren't. It's bad the men are. But I I think the rules should be, Nobody get mauled by tigers. Hey, is that a tiger? Stay away from it. Yeah, okay. So, hmm, I think if you want to die by tiger, that's your right. Um, I don't think it is, because often the poor tiger is the one that will really suffer. Well, yes. So, that moves on to where we're going next, which is basically... So, the, the Lord Chamberlain banned women from performing... Um, men were allowed to for ages afterwards, but what was never brought into consideration, it was always like, these animals are wild, this is just what they do. They never considered that actually these animals were in horrific conditions yeah. for themselves. But we are kind of looking at the beginnings of animal niceness okay. a little bit. So, in 1859, um, people asked... Uh, origin of the species comes out. Yes, Darwin. Yeah, which is a little bit of a game changer, really, in terms of how the world understands animals. Because prior to that, I don't think there was a lot of consideration in the average person about the fact that animals and humans share anything. They're totally different. Whereas that comes out and, and a little bit more is understood. And so... 
the beginnings of animal welfare crop up. But we're talking very small. Sure, sure. <laughs> I mean, the, the welfare is in, I don't think this tiger likes being set on fire, is better yeah. than setting fire to a tiger. Yeah. So we've got things like um, a big a big step forward was uh, 1822, so a little bit before the Victorian period, but I've basically done this as 19th century animals. I hope that that's okay. Um, so we've got the MP for Galway, whose name is Richard Martin. Mm-hmm. He brings a bill forward uh, called the Ill Treatment of Cattle Bill. Okay. And that comes in in 1822, and it does pass with quite a lot of arguing. Shocker. Um, But it sort of... There had to be some rules now on how you treated cattle. A little tiny bit, you had to be a bit nicer to them. Um, And he did push for more. His nickname was Humanity Dick. (laughs) Trying to be nice. (laughs) Um, so they were trying to do things like, oh, hey, don't have that one horse pulling 19 cartloads. Um, but there were lots of questions like, well, how could we possibly know what's too much for a horse to pull? (laughs) We can't ask him. So let's not think about it. Do you know a mad thing about horses? You know, like horsepower that they do cars. Yeah. One horse provides about 20 horsepower. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Well, what's the single unit then? No idea. No idea. Huh. That's fun. Um, yeah, also, so, like, while they're doing this and kind of going, like, you've got to be a bit nicer to cattle animals and, hey, have a horse only pull one carriage with a maximum of five people in it, nine children, that kind of thing. There's, like, horrific stuff happening with, like, pit ponies and things like that where they are just born, put in a mine, worked until they die. Yeah. So... Um, but we we do start to see the outlawing of a bit more stuff as well. So um, f- uh, I think bull baiting and cockfighting um, they are ended in eighteen thirty five. That's cool. There's a really good pub in London in the city. Um, I think it's called the Cockpit, but it's like the pub was built for cockfighting. So you go in. It's a tiny little area. Then you've got to go upstairs immediately. It's like the viewing gallery. It's a really good, yeah. really good pub. It's in my yeah, book, cool. London's Best Pubs. But um, by the time that I found it, it would take too long. I'd essentially give that information. Yeah, that sounds about right. Well, that pub must have been built pre-1835, unless they were just doing it legally, which seems quite right. No, it's a well um, old pub, well old. Yeah, so it was also intended to protect dogs and bears because there was some really horrible stuff. I'm not going to go into details because this is a nice, light, cheerful, semi-factual podcast. There's no point putting the horrors in there. But basically, awareness is starting to shift. And so the Society for the Protection of Animals has existed for quite a while. But then in 1840, uh, Queen Victoria gives it her seal of approval. So from 1840 onwards, it becomes what we know it as, which is the RSPCA, Mm. the Royal Society for the Protection (coughs) of Cruelty, Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. I, it's always blown my mind that the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals and the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, the RSPB, but not, but it's the National 
Society for the Prevention of Cruelty <laughs> to Children. Yeah, that's a very good point, Will. I uh, think about that, genuinely, once twice a week. That's never occurred to me. Well, it does make sense, though, doesn't it? Because that's the sort of... Anyway, let's not get riled up about whether or not we should be a republic. We do that enough on our own time. <laughs> so, there you go. That's where we're going to leave the main flavour, listeners. Uh, listeners who are not on the Patreon, there you go. We're leaving you there with some cheerful news. For those that are Patreon subscribers, we're going to look at six weird Victorian pets and if you after are, the jingle. And if you are sad that you are not going to hear the six of the facts, you can join the Patreon, and we would recommend you do. Patreon.com forward slash National Treasures to get the extras. A weekly extra podcast called Years and Years, where Laura and I do a deep dive and a monthly live stream, which I'm say yesterday was my favorite ever live stream it was fun wasn't it we did a quiz back through all well i've finished a quiz that we started a few months ago back down through all the episodes we've done before and see how much will could remember and it was basically nothing but uh thank you um and of course if you if you are unable to join the patreon that's absolutely fine this podcast will always be free uh, to enjoy if you do have what equates as a pound a week wing it our way for all the extra lovely content Thank you so much. Join us again next week when we will be at Woolerton Hall. Yeah, I found out something. I really panicked then that that wasn't what it was called. (laughs) I'm just going to look Will in the eye and say it and see if he corrects me. I found out something mad about Woolerton Hall that we didn't find out on our day there. Yeah. That blew my mind. So I'm going to give us a little sneak peek. Do you mind, Laura? No, go for it, William. There's one of the rooms in Woolerton Hall that we found out uh, was a bedroom in the Batman film The Dark Knight Rises. But what we didn't find out at Woolerton Hall, the hall is Wayne Manor in those three films. All the exterior shots of Batman's house in Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises is Woolerton Hall. Wow. Anyway, bye. <laughs> See you next week for more facts like that that we didn't find out while we were there. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.